Brothers and sisters at Redeemer, um, I am sorry I'm not going to be in your presence today. Uh, earlier this week, I, I was with a dear brother who the next day uh, was diagnosed with uh, COVID-19 as well as his family. And so uh, I am going to be in quarantine for a bit uh, just to stay uh, away and keep everyone as safe as possible. Um, and uh, at this time, we are just uh, more and more aware of so many people who have been affected by COVID-19, whether it's um, getting sick themselves or in quarantine or uh, problems at work or um, also uh, many have lost family members at this time. So um, our hearts go out to our brothers and sisters and those in the community, our prayers as well. And so we look forward to uh, God's provision in, in all these moments. Um, I'll see you soon. Uh, this is our Advent season and we celebrate this season with Christians all over the world uh, throughout history. As we remember, and the word Advent uh, means in Latin to come, we remember that Jesus has come, but this season is even more importantly focusing on Jesus is coming again. And so every year uh, we get this special moment in the church calendar to remember that uh, our Lord has come and to remember also that our Lord is coming again. And in the meantime, we have great reason to be hopeful and great reason to love the God who's come for his people. And so uh, we oftentimes reflect, and we are this week, reflecting on his first coming and the promises found in that. But we also look forward to how those promises are being fulfilled and how they will, go, will, will be fulfilled. In Isaiah chapter 7, we see the prophet of old speaking in a very tumultuous time about a Savior who was yet to come, a Savior who would bring hope to his people. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. And so we celebrate this time in which a babe was born on our behalf to bring us hope. Isaiah continues that thought two chapters later in chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, and gives us a little bit more explanation of this Emmanuel, this God with us that was coming. And he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. I love this last line. The zeal of the Lord, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Partially fulfilled, yet still to come. Over the last few weeks, we've looked at that first name, we looked at the wonderful counselor, the one who grants us wisdom, the one who is in charge, the knowing counselor. He's not just a counselor and the one who gives us advice, but he is also the way maker, the one who is uh, making the course throughout history. And so we learned to go to him, that we can seek truth for him, that we, we can ask for wisdom and understanding we can go to him with a trust of both our present and our future. And last week, we looked at mighty God, 
Our God is, our King is God himself involved in his creation. He is the one, as we see, is a a warrior. He is the one who wins. Our God wins. He is victorious. There is no force that can stand up against him. He has no rivals. From his hands pour forth the sands of time, and from his breath he brings the winds of struggle. He is the author and the finisher. So trust in him. Yield yourself to mighty God. And the title today that we're looking at is Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. When I first looked at that, I wondered, what what kind of father is this? Uh, It's kind of strange thinking about Jesus, this child born, who is also a father. And so I want us to be careful. I don't think that's exactly how it's meant to think of this title as a Trinitarian title, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, because we really are talking about God the Son who is born. I think there is a better explanation of this idea of Father. This idea of Father is not in the biological sense or is in the relational sense, but this Father is more of a way to describe someone that who is in charge, who is powerful, who's a, a kind of caretaker. We see an example of this in Job chapter 29, when Job is describing himself. And he says of himself, I was an eye to the blind and a feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. And I searched out the cause of him of whom I did not know. This kind of father is, isn't just a, a, a fatherly figure, but it is someone who is in control, who has resources, who is mindful of all kinds of people from the greatest to the lowest, and he is the one who provides for them. He is a father, a caretaker, someone who is full of provision. Job was this kind of father to all those who were around him. They looked to him. It is a reference to someone in power, someone who is a leader, who is mindful and beneficial to those who must rely on him. This is the kind of father that Job was. And I think this is the same kind of father that we learn in this title, Everlasting Father. This is the sense in which the everlasting father was to come into the world. He was to come into the world as a caretaker, the one who is in charge, who is aware of the needs and the struggles of his people, who cared about his people, who sought their good and provided for them. He provided sustenance. He provided it through justice through his righteousness. And then the question is, what is the proper response to such a father as this? The proper response from his people is to have a great love, an adoration, a trust, to bless the name of such a father. But where do we find such a father these days? Can you think of one? It's hard to think of fathers like those to whom we can apply such a honorific title as this, Father. I'm not talking about your dad. or uh, I'm talking about someone who is in authority, who's looking after your needs. Someone that we can apply this same kind of love that's expected here, the same kind of trust, the same kind of adoration that everlasting Father 
intense. Whether presidents or congressmen, senators, governors, mayors, there isn't anyone in this this landscape that we can see in our country that we can embrace as father. But wouldn't it be nice? Instead, what we have are politicians and bulldogs. In 1939, there was an iconic movie called Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and it starred Jimmy Stewart, who is an Oscar winner, uh, and this was one of his, his first movies that he ever made. And, and in this movie, we, we, it opens with a senator having died. And so there are phone calls being made and, try, and trying to figure out what to do because a senator has passed away. They're, they're looking for a replacement. And in the gallery, there's a, a group of, in one gallery, there's a group of the people. And they are clamoring for the, the, the candidate they want. The governors are going to have to choose how to fill that spot. And so they come to the governor and they, they have a candidate. But in the back room, there's another group of politicians and establishment people, those who are pulling the strings behind the scenes, and they have another candidate in mind. And so this poor governor has both sides coming against him, the one who put him in office and the one who made sure that he stays in office. And he has to decide, who am I going to choose to fill this very important position in the government, this Senate position for the state? The, the governor is going to decide it, but it's interesting how he decides. Because that night when he's at his table, his children, and he has a whole mess of children, six or seven children, are sitting at the table. And they're giving him, as they said in the movie, the business. They're saying, you can't choose the party man. You can't choose this man or that. Who you should choose, and they pick an interesting choice, is this man by the name of Jefferson Smith. Jefferson Smith? The governor doesn't even know who that person is. But for them, he's a, a childhood hero of theirs. He is someone who basically is ahead of the Boy Scouts of the area. And he is always taking care of the kids and encourage them to love their nation. And he is a, a, a great, well, like kind of a father figure to them. And they're saying, Dad, you have to choose this guy. And strangely enough, the governor goes through with what his children said, believing that he'll be supplely moved back and forth because he's He's a, he's a very naive leader, and the guys who are pulling the strings behind the scenes can manipulate him as they wish. Once he gets there, this Jefferson Smith, once he gets to Washington, D.C., his first step is to, to, to put a bill forward to, to secure some land for all of these boys, this boys' camp that he's going to create, and he's so excited. But unfortunately, that runs afoul of, this, uh, of the bureaucrats. So they decide that they are going to run him out of town. And so they uh, speak badly about him. Uh, their crooked dealings will be, uh, will be found out if his plan goes through. So the political machine ruins him, disgraces him. And they think that he's going to run away. And just about as he does, he remembers not to run away because the children, the ones he was representing, would want him to stand up for what is right. So he goes back to Washington. And there he does a filibuster and he, he uh, fights against the system. And they listen to him. And he wins. And all the, the evil bureaucracy behind him uh, falls down and is destroyed. He remembers the children. When all seems lost, he wins. This is a father. The reason it's such a good story is that we all 
hope for this kind of father. Even when we go to the polls, we're hoping for this kind of father. A leader like this who cares for our needs, provides for his people, but also lives in truth and integrity. This is a fictional story. <laughs> These kinds of fathers in reality are, are hard to find. Usually, if you're looking at politicians, you, you get one of the two things. You get politician, or you get a bull, bulldog. The senior senator in this movie from Jefferson Smith State at one point tries to convince Mr. Smith to stop fighting against the system. And he says, I've had to compromise. And he encourages the young sinner to do the same. That's not the way of a father. A father doesn't compromise. And in fact, when we think about an everlasting father found in Isaiah chapter 9, we have a father who does not compromise because he can't be bought. Because he is just. He is the only one who always operates in truth. He is the only one who always follows what is right. He need not compromise. He never has to run for re-election. He is the everlasting father. He doesn't have to bend to powers that are greater than him, for he is the mighty king. He need not listen, he need not listen to the, the counsel of others because he is the... That's right, Elijah. He's the wise counselor. We have politicians and bulldogs. Bulldogs are nice if they're your bulldog. They fight for us against those who we disagree with. The, those that seem to sink our hopes, they fight against them. They aren't looking out for their interests. They're looking out for our interests. But those who oppose us are kind of some kind of anti-fathers. But our bulldogs, our bulldogs fight for us. But the bulldogs aren't fight fathers either. They too have to look after their own interests and often use unrighteous ways to get the results that the bulldogs are called out to fight for. What we need is a father. A father who rules an everlasting kingdom. A kingdom that endures. In the midst of broken kings, broken kingdoms, Isaiah shares this title, Everlasting Father. It is a hope from on high that there will come one who is a true father. And this will be an everlasting father. He will care for his children. He will care for his kingdom. He'll provide. Not a politician who must compromise. Not a bulldog who fights by any means, but one who operates in justice. See what the kingdom looks like in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. Of the increase of his government, of this everlasting father, of this prince of peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. This line of David that was promised to be a forever kingdom will be upheld by this everlasting father. And he does it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. 
You see, he established his kingdom with righteousness and with justice. The pillars for this kingdom, well, the establishment of them, are his righteousness and his justice. So it is a kingdom that is good and right and just. An everlasting father who provides for justice, who makes things right. I like this last line that says that it will be established by his zeal. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. This word zeal is actually the word fire. And it's like two kinds of fire. It's this one kind of fire that burns with love. And it's also a second kind of of fire that burns with jealousy. And you see, that is the Lord of hosts. His zeal will accomplish this because he uh, is going to take care of his name. He is going to have a zeal for his name. He will accomplish these things because of his name. And he also has a jealousy for his people that he is going to make sure that they are taken care of and that they are his forever and ever and ever. And so the zeal of God, this fire of God will make sure that this kingdom is established, that endures forever and ever. His children will not be lost. And in that stable, born to us in Bethlehem, was born an everlasting father. He inaugurated his kingdom on earth and will fulfill this everlasting kingdom in the days to come. Do you know the everlasting father? What are your responses to our everlasting father? What should they be? Trust? Adoration? And as his servants, what's our response? To serve this king forever. To love him and adore him, hold on to him as father, hope in him. And to be the administers of his justice and grace. What did Jesus say in his, uh, his prayer for his people? This model prayer, he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You see all those features of this heavenly Father that he calls us as his people to join in with him in this kingdom work of this everlasting kingdom, to to work in justice, to work in truth, to work in grace. This is his kingdom here on earth. And so Jesus calls us out. Now let us be citizens of this great kingdom. Let us be participants of the everlasting father in his goodness in this world. Our response to everlasting father is, is love, adoration, and trust, and then to be a part of the establishment of his kingdom here on earth. Let us have fresh eyes for injustice. Let us be aware of our flesh and our unrighteousness. And may the zeal of the Lord of hosts do this in us and through us. Amen. Lord God, I thank you for your rich blessings in your coming for us, everlasting Father. And with adoration, we think of you today with trust in our present and our future. We come to you today, seeking your wise counsel, your wisdom. We come to you today. 
Lord, asking you to use us for your kingdom's glory, that we might see that which is not right around us, and that we might proclaim the truth, Lord, that we might be dispensers of your hope. We might be dispensers of your grace in our lives and our friends' lives and our families' lives. Lord, help us to look in the right place for a true father. We thank you that you never let us down. We worship you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.